In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the first Sunday of the Coptic month of Hatur, and we read today the parable of the sower, is one of the more famous parables that the Lord Jesus Christ said to describe how the different people receive the Word of God and respond differently to it. Specifically, I want to focus today on the seed that fell among the thorns, which sprung up quickly, but was choked by the thorns and could not grow any further. The Lord Jesus Christ, he explained um, this in verse 14 when he says, Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. So this again is describing how we, as, as, as the ones who are receiving the word of God, which is the seed that lands on the ground, how is it that each of us is responding to the word? So the first thing that the Lord Jesus Christ says about this type of uh, ground is that when the seed fell on it, that it sprung up quickly, right? So this is a person who hears the word of God and receives it with zeal, re receives it with understanding and receives it with enthusiasm, wants to work with it, wants to receives it in a positive way, and they, they grow quickly. But there is some problems in the way that this growth is happening that is maybe not initially apparent. From the very beginning, they see that everything is growing fast, but then they begin to hit some kind of obstacle, which is the thorns. So what are the problems um, that, that, this, um, that this ground has? The first is, is they might not understand the type of commitment that is required of them. When we receive something from the Lord, and we have some powerful experience with God, or we have a strong sense of, the, of God working in our lives, and we feel the Holy Spirit is present, and that God is doing good for us, maybe we will be filled with this zeal and this excitement, this enthusiasm about following God, about our future, about what God is preparing for us, about the plan of God in our lives, and so on. And so we are joyful. And maybe we are motivated because of this joy that we have, and so it's, we spring up quickly. But the question is, is do we believe that this kind of emotional excitement that we have at the beginning of our journey is going to continue and is going to be enough to let us kind of continue for the rest of our entire life and that we will continue to feel this level of enthusiasm and excitement all the time? Maybe actually we are lacking a commitment. Maybe, maybe we are thinking that through the rest of our life we will be kind of motivated by the way that we feel at the beginning. But as we know, that as we are continuing in our life, we find struggles and, and trials and disappointments and pain and suffering that we experience in life. And maybe we will not have that kind of initial zeal or initial enthusiasm or excitement that we had that will carry through all the way. And there will be times where we do not want to pray, and times where we are not very excited about what God is doing with us, and times where we wish things were different, and we are not motivated the way that we were. And so what carries us through is not just um, our belief by itself, not just uh, uh, the emotions that we feel by itself, but there has to be some kind of commitment to God. And that commitment is not just a series of facts that we have acknowledged. You know, when someone comes to the church, and is baptized in the church, they have to acknowledge the creed and they have to accept the facts of the faith. But to live as an Orthodox person is not just a set of facts 
that we say, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this. The kind of commitment that is required in order for us to be successful in the orthodox life is, goes beyond simply a set of facts that we assent to or believe. Orthodoxy is a way of life. It's not just a few separate things. It's not just I go to church on Sunday. It's not just I confess my sins. It's not just I take communion. It's not just I read the Bible. It is an entire life that I submit to. It is a worldview. It's a way of looking at the world. It's a way of looking at myself compared to God, that I am a sinner, that I'm submitting my will to God, that I'm surrendering my will to him, and that I'm going down a path that sometimes doesn't make sense to me that sometimes is above my mind, that I am not able to perceive or understand why is God allowing me to go down um, a particular road. So the, the idea of making a commitment to submit to God, to surrender my will to God, to continue in obedience to, to God and the church throughout my life, and that the church becomes the center and the focus of my life, because it is the most important thing. You know, sometimes we, we, we struggle and we try to balance many things in our life. We try to balance our family commitments. We try to balance our work commitments. We try to balance our health. We try to balance our finances. We try to balance so many different things. So where does God and the church show up in this list? You know, is it, is it that it is one more thing at the same level as all of these other things that I try to balance, that I try to juggle? And if I'm able to successfully come to church once a week, then I consider myself to be kind of on track and doing the right thing? Is, is, is God and the church just one more thing in my schedule? Or is God and the church the center of everything and everything else revolves around this? What are my priorities? How is it that I choose to live? As I said, in order for us to be successful to the end, it requires a lifelong commitment, and a lot of times that requires personal sacrifices. It requires that there are things that I would want to do, that I would enjoy to do, that I would prefer to do, that I tell myself, no, I can't do this. I can't do it because, it because I have to sacrifice something else that's more important. And I'm not even just talking about sinful things. I'm talking about anything that uses up our time that takes us away from God. You know, even if you think of a hobby, sometimes our hobbies, which in themselves are fine, but they begin to consume us. They begin to take up so much time and there is no time left to pray. There's no time left to go to church. There's no time left to serve people. There's no time left for all the other things because we spend so much time doing an activity that we enjoy doing. And maybe that activity in and of itself is fine to do. And maybe we just need to find a way to balance that with everything else. The, qu the, the, the point is, is that orthodoxy requires a certain set of priorities, that we make God number one and everything else comes after that. Another reason why maybe someone would start out in this idea of we spring up quickly, um, but then we have a difficult time persevering to the end is because we don't understand our own weaknesses. Okay, we don't understand our own weaknesses. The people of Israel, if you read in the Old Testament, they were very stubborn people. And every time God gave them commandments to do, they always disobeyed him. And they showed their weakness. They showed their lack of faith. And yet they didn't understand themselves. Um, when Moses was about to go up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, up until this point, the people had already complained against Moses so many times. They had said, we're going to die in the desert. They had said, we wish we could go back to Egypt again. 
because at least there we had meat to eat instead of the manna that was coming from heaven that they grew weary of. They kept arguing all the time about everything. This is who they were. When Moses was about to go up to the mountain, okay, um, this is what he said. So, so Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said we will do. All the words that the Lord has said we will do. The question here is, do you know yourself? Do you realize that up until this point, all the words that the Lord has said you have not done? And actually what indeed happens is when Moses goes up on the mountain and he is up there for 40 days, the people down at the bottom, they said, where is this man Moses? We don't know where he is. So we are going to make a golden calf for ourselves to worship it. And this is what Moses found them doing when he came back down the mountain and he realized that they were worshiping this idol. They didn't understand themselves. They didn't understand that they are continually stubborn, continually disobedient, continually fighting against God and what he wants them to do all the time. And even the Lord himself said to Moses that these are a stubborn and obstinate people. They are a people that do not want to listen. They do not want to submit and they do not want to obey. So they didn't understand themselves. And maybe when we are committing or trying to commit to the, the Christian life, to a spiritual rule, to a spiritual canon that we follow on a regular, on a daily basis, maybe we ourselves think that we are stronger than we really are. Sometimes we, we imagine ourselves to be strong, we imagine ourselves to be wise, and that we know exactly how is it that we will live. Maybe we see this in people who think that they are strong enough in order to withstand temptation, thinking that they are going to participate in certain activities, and that these activities, if I do them, I'm not going to fall, I'm not going to sin, I'm going to be just fine, everything will be fine. And then we find ourselves that when we try to do this, we find ourselves falling, we find ourselves sinning. And who is the one who is to blame? who is the one who walked into this scenario or this situation, it's us. We are the ones who chose this. We are the ones who chose to, to do this, not really understanding our own weakness. So someone who is starting off in the Christian life, who is springing up quickly, as the Lord said about this land, this ground that received the seeds, which is the word of God, they didn't understand themselves. They didn't know themselves. They didn't realize that their weakness was actually going to make the Christian life difficult. This is why we come for confession. This is why we examine ourselves. If we truly examine ourselves with sincerity, we will find many things that we should confess. But some people believe about themselves. It's like, you know, I haven't really done anything. I haven't done any major sins. I haven't killed anyone. I haven't done anything like that. And so we kind of look at ourselves and we say, well, we're okay. But if we truly were, to examine ourselves. Are we able to do the things that the great heroes of faith in the Bible were able to do? Someone like Abraham? Are we able to do what Abraham did? If the Lord comes to us and he says, I want you to sacrifice your son, are we able to do this? Are we able to just say, okay, I'm going to rise up early in the morning and I'm going to go do it? Maybe not. Maybe we can't do that. We have to examine ourselves. Who is it that we are? Because maybe we are fooling ourselves. Also, the idea of spiritual growth, it takes a very long time. It takes a lifetime in order for us to grow. It is not a very fast process. Even when we go to pray and we ask God to forgive our sins, we ask God to transform our hearts, we ask God to change us and to make us new, to make us Christ-like, we might not find that when we walk outside of our, our room of prayer 
that we were suddenly find that we are different, that we are that everything that we have asked God for is suddenly manifested in us. We believe that God hears the prayer. We believe that God does indeed transform. But this transformation can take years and decades in order for us to realize it, in order for us to see it actually in our lives. So we have to be patient. Again, maybe the springing up quickly is because we are expecting immediate results. And then when we do not see those results, we begin to get discouraged. I remember a story that I heard from an abbot of a monastery who um, was speaking about when new monks come to the monastery, they are very enthusiastic, they're very excited, and they feel like they are about to embark on a new spiritual journey that is going to make them to approach God, to get closer to God, and indeed this is true. And so they are very emotionally excited. And then after a period of time in the monastery, that kind of initial emotion and zeal begins to fade away, and now it becomes routine, that every day I have a routine schedule that I'm not as excited as I was at the beginning. It's not as fascinating as it was at the beginning. It, it's not as magical as it was at the beginning. Now it's a schedule, it's a routine, it's a regular life, and this is my life now. And so they begin to feel this emotions fade away. And then in that moment, sometimes some of them will feel that God has abandoned them because they believe that that initial zeal that they felt, that, that was actually the Spirit of God working, and now that they don't feel that zeal anymore, that somehow the Spirit of God has abandoned them, and that they are maybe are not even, uh, God does not even want them maybe to be monks. Maybe they shouldn't even be here at all, because they have not, they're not feeling that strong emotions that they had at the beginning. But actually then the abbot goes on to say, but this is very normal, it's very normal. Anything that we do actually at the beginning, even look at a marriage relationship, Maybe at the very beginning of that relationship, there is very strong emotions, there is excitement, and you feel like that emotion and excitement is going to carry you through to the very, very end. But anyone who's been married for a while realizes that the, the nature of the relationship changes. It's not that there is such emotion as there was at the beginning. And in order for it to continue to the end successfully, there has to be a decision, there has to be a commitment, there has to be a choice to love even when you don't always feel like loving. And so instead of relying so much on our emotion, begin to rely on our will, on what I have chosen to do, and how I have chosen to live, even if this period of I'm springing up quickly at the beginning has passed. There is nothing wrong with this. The St. Paul, he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And anyone who has uh, run a marathon or run a, wrong, a long race knows that by the very end of the race you don't nearly have the amount of energy that you had at the beginning and that the way you feel at the end is very different than the way that you feel at the beginning. What makes those people be able to win and to run and to complete the race to the very end is because of commitment. It's because they have chosen to do so and they have a goal and a target to do so. In this parable that when the Lord says um, they go, the, the, these people who they, who they spring up quickly, it says they go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life. This is what um, causes them to slow down. This is what is the obstacle, that as they are growing, 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 and then suddenly they hit what? They hit these three things, the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life. And this is what prevents them from continuing. So I want to just mention these briefly, okay? This is what de derails them. What are the cares? The cares of this life, they vie for our attention. 
that if we didn't have any cares, then maybe we would have a complete mental focus on God. That we could think about Him. We could, we could focus on Him. We could focus on praying all the time. But what distracts us maybe from doing this is because we have so many responsibilities and we have so many anxieties and we have so many things that we worry about that keeps us from focusing on Him. The Lord gave um, another beautiful parable, which is the parable of the wedding banquet. And in this parable, um, this, uh, this man who is holding this wedding banquet, he goes and he invites all of these different people in order for them to enter into the wedding banquet. So the wedding banquet is, is a symbol of heaven. And it is like God is inviting everyone to come and to partake of the heavenly. He wants them to come and join him in heaven. But the people, when they receive this invitation, each one of them had some kind of excuse. Okay? Well, the first one, he said, what? I have, brought, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go see it. I ask that you have me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask that you have me excused. And the other said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. These reasons were all reasons that the people gave because they were so... Um, filled with cares. They were thinking about this life. And I'm not trying to say that the cares of this life are irrelevant. There are many responsibilities that we all have. There are very important things that we have to do. We live in the world and there are necessities and things that we must do. We must work. We have responsibilities. The question is, is how do we balance those responsibilities with the heavenly things? How do we balance the, the responsibilities of this temporarily, temporary world with the eternal world? You know, we say that the eternal is a far greater value than the temporal. We say that the things of heaven are far more important than the things of the earth. But if this is true, then we should spend so much time on the heavenly things and, and maybe proportionally less time on the earthly things. But if we really look at our schedules, maybe we find that it's reversed. Maybe we find that we spend all of our time on the earthly things and barely any time on the heavenly things and maybe only if we have time left over after the earthly things that we then begin to think about the heavenly things. Each one of these three people that gave excuses for the heavenly banquet, they had some, something in their mind, something was consuming them and they made excuses for, for why they did not come. And maybe we also make excuses. And maybe we are satisfied with these excuses. We say, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm very busy. I have this, I have that. You know, the question is what, like I said earlier, about the commitment. In order for me to be a committed Orthodox Christian, then I have to make choices. And those choices require me to sacrifice. They require me to have my life revolve and center around God and the church, and that everything else comes after. And we will indeed be able to find the time for whatever it is that we need to do. We make time for the things that we find are important. Like for instance, eating. Typically we eat every day, even when we are busy, even when we have a lot of responsibilities. We make time to eat because eating is important to us. None of us say, I, you know, I didn't eat at all the entire day because I didn't have time to eat. We find time to eat. Even if it's like eating on the go, even if it's like I'm not sitting down, you know, and having a full meal, I find something to eat, to do on the go. So there is a way for us to keep God in our mind. There is a way for us to find time to pray to God and to spend time with him. Even when it comes to things that are important. For instance, when um, the Lord was in the house of Martha and Mary, 
and Mary was sitting at the, f at the feet of Christ listening to him while Martha was in the kitchen preparing food and preparing all kinds of things, the Lord said to Martha, he said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. She has chosen the good. It doesn't mean that what Martha is doing is irrelevant or unnecessary. But what Mary has chosen is even better than what Martha has chosen. And this is what makes this choice difficult. Because we are, we are saying that these things I have responsibilities for are good and necessary, but maybe there is something that is even, even better. Maybe there's something that I should be doing and balancing my time even more. Another thing that we are choked with is riches. We live in a world where we are called to be rich. We are called to um, find comfort in wealth. Because with wealth, we can attain everything that we want. And, and, and we are told that when we receive these things, when we obtain these things, that our life will be better. That our life will be more comfortable. That our life will be simpler and easier and more enjoyable because we have obtained, because we have riches. But the Lord said in Matthew 16, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So he says, what, if, you, if you place kind of on the scale the entire world and everything that is in it that you could obtain, and on the other side, you just put your own soul, one soul, which is more valuable? Which is more valuable to me to have this success and this riches? There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. But many of us sometimes, in the pursuit of wealth and the pursuit of riches, we become so consumed with it that again, we sacrifice everything else. We sacrifice in our time of what it is that we can do and how much we can spend um, with God. Um, King Solomon, um, in his book of Ecclesiastes, he makes it very clear because he was very wealthy and he experienced this. He experienced essentially having everything. Anything that he wanted, he could have. And so he tells us from a place of experience, and he says, for God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner, he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. What does it mean? It means the one who is good in the eyes of God, the one who is righteous, God gives him peace. God gives him joy. God gives him wisdom. But to the one who is a sinner, God gives him to spend his whole life trying to gather and collect. And once it is gathered and collected, God gives this to the person who is righteous. God like transfers it from this person to one who is righteous. Like this man who spent his whole life gathering and collecting, it was a vain. It was worthless. He didn't even get to keep the things that he gathered and collected. And his whole life, he was consumed. And he didn't have that peace and joy. The last point I want to make is um, uh, being choked with pleasures. That was the last point of the thorns, right? Being choked with pleasures, preventing us from continuing to grow. Again, is the goal simply to experience pleasure? Is the goal simply to enjoy everything? Sometimes we... Um, we assume that and we want that our lives are enjoyable, of course, but sometimes we become so obsessed with enjoyment that, again, we leave everything behind. How many times do we want to say, um, I just want to retire early so that I can spend the rest of my life enjoying my life and traveling and doing all kinds of fun, enjoyable things? I'm not trying to say that travel is wrong and enjoying ourselves is wrong, but what is our God? What is, is, this, is this become that everything that I do is for this? 
so that I could just enjoy my time. Actually, when you, when you think about entertainment, entertainment is such a huge industry in the world now because so many people want it. The question is, is do I seek after it to the extent that, again, I sacrifice everything else? Is it become a god for me? Is it that entertainment has become an idol? Even if it is wholesome entertainment, which nowadays it's very hard to find. But even if you find wholesome entertainment, do I pursue it so that it becomes like a god and that, it, that I, this is what I seek after more than anything else? In Proverbs 21, it says, He who loves pleasure will be a poor man, and he who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Even the way that we use our time when we seek after pleasure, we will not be seeking the other things that are of more value. Um, finally, he says that there is fruit for those who are mature. Those people who reach maturity, there is fruit. The ones who are able to continue to grow. The ones who are not choked by the thorns, that are able to grow to maturity. And St. Paul says to the Galatians, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we are bombarded with the world and all the things in the world, whether it be the cares of this life, whether it be the riches of the world, whether it be the pleasures of the world, and we should be balanced and wise in the way that we approach our life, of how we spend our time, what we direct our energy to, and remember always that we are heavenly beings, that God has created us for eternity, and we should not put all of our effort in this life, and glory be to God forever. Amen.